Scripture reading this evening will be read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're very thankful for each and every person who has chosen to be here tonight. We're always glad to have the opportunity to come together as God's people to worship Him and to enjoy fellowship with one another. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to actually be looking at all 10 verses in chapter 1. And we're going to be talking about a congregation on the move. And before I begin, I do want to express appreciation to those who are visiting. We have a number of visitors who come our way from week to week. We encourage you to come back and be with us. We've had a number of people that have placed membership with us. And for that, we're grateful. We're thankful for the confidence that they have placed in the eldership here and the work of the church. And we want to do everything that we can to expand the borders of the kingdom in this community and to reach out to those who are lost and dying in sin. As we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to begin by stating that there are three types of congregations. There are living churches, there are dying churches, and there are dead churches. I want to believe that we are a living church. I want to believe that we are the kind of congregation that God is pleased with. That's not to say that we are perfect, far from it. But I do believe that there are some traits that we demonstrate that suggest that we are moving in the right direction and that we are a living, breathing organism. In short, that we are a living congregation of God's people. When you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I believe that you read about a congregation of God's people that would have been classified as a living church, a living congregation. And when you look at the church at Thessalonica, really, to me, the summation is, here is a congregation that was on the move. And if congregations are going to be pleasing in the eyes of God, they have to be moving forward. They have to be living. They have to be alive. You can read in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 of congregations that were not characterized as living congregations. Sardis, for example, had the reputation that they were alive and well, and God, in his infinite wisdom, said, but you are dead, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And so, having said that, look, at, look with me, if you would, at chapter 1, and there are, there are some characteristics or some identifying marks of this congregation that I believe set the stage for the fact that they were a church on the move. First of all, I want you to consider with me their deliverance through Jesus. They were the elect 
of God. They had been chosen to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. In other words, here were people that had obeyed the gospel of truth according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. There are three things that I want to share with you along these lines. First of all, consider the presentation of the gospel. Now you can go back and look at Acts chapter 17 and here you have the background to the church at Thessalonica. Paul and Silas, they of course had been, they had been traveling through Philippi and they had great results in their preaching endeavors in Philippi. And in chapter 17, we find them making their way to the city of Thessalonica. And it was here that they presented the gospel of Christ. Now Luke tells us in chapter 17 that they found a synagogue of the Jews. And for three Sabbaths, they reasoned with those Jews from the scriptures. In other words, I believe that they took the word of God, the Old Testament scriptures, and they used these as a blueprint to identify the Christ, the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that they explained and demonstrated to those who were in Thessalonica that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And then Luke goes on to say that they said that this Jesus whom we preach to you is the Christ. The Christ, of course, would have been the anointed one, the Messiah. And all they were doing was saying to these Jews that, look, the one in whom the Old Testament scriptures pointed to, he has come. He is the divine son of the living God. And so they preached the gospel to these people. They had the opportunity to declare unto them the one true living God. But then I want you to think with me about the power of the gospel. Some might ask the question, what kind of results took place in the city of Thessalonica? Well, you go back again and you look at chapter 17. And the Bible says that, that some of the Jews believed a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. And so here, based on the evidence that we have from Acts chapter 17, here is the conclusion. Some of the Jews, they, they put the pieces together based on what they had learned from Paul and Silas in their teaching and preaching from the Old Testament scriptures and they concluded this is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And then you have the Gentiles and they, of course, they took what was said and they became obedient to the gospel, not just them but also some of the ladies that were living in Thessalonica. And so drop down and look, if you would, at verse 9. In verse 9 of chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians, Paul said that they had turned to God from idols. I think this would be a reference to those Gentile people. To serve the living and true God. Now we talk about the power of the gospel of Christ. And I really believe that one of the reasons, the main reason we must preach and teach the truth of the gospel is because therein lies the power. The power as we have said on numerous occasions, does not lie in the messenger, but rather the power is in the message. Paul would say to the saints in Rome, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter four at verse 12 
said in the long ago that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So God's word has the ability to penetrate the hearts and lives of people and thus bring about change. Here were people, they had the opportunity to hear the gospel. They measured what they heard they, and they came to the conclusion that what has been said is truth. And thus, they turned to the one true and living God. And then there's a third thing. And this has to do with their pardon through the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that it has the power to save the soul. Again, think about what Paul said. The gospel is God's power unto salvation. Now, look again at what Paul says in verse 9. He talks about how these people had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then he says in verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from wrath to come. Now in Romans chapter five, Paul said, God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse nine he said, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Those who are outside of Christ, that is those who have never obeyed the gospel, whether Jew or Gentile in the first century and for the fact of the matter, today as well. Those who have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, they stand in jeopardy of facing the wrath of Almighty God. But here Paul is saying these people had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and thus they had been saved from wrath through Jesus. In Ephesians 2 verse 12, the Bible talks about how those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord, they are without hope and without God in this world. Therein lies the state of every person outside Jesus Christ. They're without hope and they're without God. The difference though is found in verse 13 where Paul said, but now in Christ, you who were once far off are made nigh brought near by the blood of Christ. Sometimes we sing the song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What is it that's gonna save me from sin? The blood of Christ. How do I contact the blood of Christ? I obey the gospel. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus as the son of God, and that's called belief, repent of my sins, and that's a turning away from a previous lifestyle. In verse nine, here were people that turned to God. They turned away from one way of life to another. And then no doubt they confessed the name of Christ and then baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What did they enjoy? Pardon, redemption, reconciliation to Almighty God. So, first of all, we note their deliverance through Jesus, but then note with me in the second place, their dedication to Jesus. When we talk about the dedication of these people, you and I, we might sum it up by saying, here were people who were energetic members of the body of Christ. Here were people that were alive, here were people that were alive in Christ. And the idea is that spiritually speaking, they were thriving, they were zealous. They were on the move, if you please, for the cause of Christ. Now, Paul identifies what I would say are a triad of traits. Note, beginning in verse two, Paul said, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Now listen to him in verse three. 
He cites their work of faith. He said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. If you and I are what we ought to be, then we are gonna be working saints. The song that we sang a moment ago, we will work till Jesus comes, ought to characterize those of us who belong to the body of Christ. We ought to be working members. Now the Bible tells us that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works in Ephesians 2 at verse 10. Paul said that we are to be a pattern of good works and the idea is that you and I, our lives are to be characterized by engaging in good works. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus pictures the judgment, he talks about those who ministered in his name. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. What were these people doing? They were working. You see, works are an expression of our faith. Read James chapter two. When you and I engage in the work of, of, of the church, we are demonstrating the tremendous faith that we have in Almighty God and the love that we have for the Lord. Now, linked to this, Paul, and really there's a correlation here, he talks about their work of faith and their labor of love. Christianity ought to be, it ought to be so woven into the fabric of our lives that everything that we do for the cause of Christ, whether it be various works or worship, it ought to be done out of love. The works that we engage in for the cause of Christ, whether it be evangelism, edification, benevolence, those works ought to be carried out because it is within us a labor of love. There are a lot of things that you and I do because we love doing them. There are things that I like to do, and I'll be honest with you, I love to do certain things. I love to play golf. And there are other hobbies that I'm sure you enjoy that you love to participate in. Well, by the same token, when it comes to the cause of Christ, the work of the church, it ought to be a labor of love. And listen, when the work of the church, when the Lord, well, let me just back up. When the work of the church is a labor of love, you're not gonna have to have your arm twisted to be involved in the work of the kingdom. No one's gonna have to stand behind you and constantly push you to be involved. It's something you want to do, you relish doing. There is this burning zeal within you. You remember in Matthew chapter 20, verse six, when Jesus asked the question, why do you stand here idle all day? Some folks are idle in the kingdom of God. And when you look at New Testament Christianity, you find that that is far from the picture presented to us in scripture. New Testament Christians are people who are on the move. They have a working faith and their, their faith is such that it is a labor of love. Now in Hebrews chapter six, verse 10, the writer said that God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. 
Now, when the work of the church becomes a labor of love, let me say this. Our worship will also be enhanced. In other words, we will want to be together on the first day of the week. We will earnestly desire, we will covet, if you please, coming together for corporate Bible study on Sunday morning. We will desire earnestly to be here for Sunday morning worship. When Sunday evening rolls around, guess where we're gonna be? We're gonna be in the worship. We're gonna be in the worship services. And then when Wednesday night comes around, we're gonna be back in services again. Why? Because our lives revolve around the Lord. Read Colossians chapter three at verse three where Paul talks about Christ and he said, who is our life? If Jesus Christ is not your life, you're missing out as a New Testament Christian. The third trait that Paul identifies has to do with their patience of hope. Now, the Bible talks about how we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Christianity is really a marathon. It's not just a short sprint. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we have to look at this thing as, as something that that's gonna require a lot of patience, perseverance, endurance. Those are terms that I believe would characterize, and those are, to some extent, synonymous terms. But those are terms that ought to characterize the Christian race. I understand that I'm in this thing for the long haul. Are there gonna be highs and lows, joys and frustrations? Are there gonna be good times and bad times? Am I gonna face hardships and adversities and persecutions and trials and tribulations? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. Why? Because I live in a world that is replete with difficulties and trials and tribulations and sorrows. So what is it that I have to have to make it from start to finish? Patience. I've got to patiently plod my course every day. I've got to get up every day and I've got to, I've got to begin every day recognizing that a bountiful God has blessed me with another day of life, giving him thanksgiving for another day to live here upon this earth. I've got to immerse my life in his word on a daily basis. I've got to strive to the best of my ability to draw closer to him. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer looks back to those Old Testament saints who lived by faith and obedience. And he said, in light, of, in light of how they lived, you and I are to run with patience, run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, if you and I are gonna be successful in living the Christian life, we're gonna have to have the same traits that these people did. We're gonna have to have a sense of dedication to Jesus. And I guess we could ask the question, how dedicated are you to the cause of Christ? How dedicated are you to Jesus? Does he, does he, does he mean everything to you? And then thirdly, note if you would, 
their demonstration of Jesus. Now this has to do with the example that they set before others. There are two things that I believe are borne out from a study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 regarding the example of those in the city of Thessalonica. First of all, note if you would, the pattern of behavior they followed in the faith. You see, here were people who became imitators of the Lord and his people. Look if you would at verses five and six. Paul said, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go back and look at the record in Acts chapter 17, you'll find that Paul and Silas were literally run out of town. There were some Jews in the city of Thessalonica. They didn't like what they were hearing, and so they, they, they created havoc. And thus, as a result of that, Paul and Silas fled to Berea. And in Berea, they were met with great success in the preaching and teaching of the gospel because the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things that they were saying were in accordance with the word of God. But nonetheless, here were people that really became imitators of the Lord and his people. You see, Jesus Christ is the great example before all of us. And his people are to be examples to others. In 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 21, Peter said that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Here were people that sought to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. But not only did they strive to walk in the footsteps of Christ, but they sought to walk in the footsteps of his people, that is, his disciples. Now Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. And you and I, we can make the same claim. Follow me insofar as I follow the Lord. But then note, if you would, also the pattern of behavior they became in the faith. You see, here were people that followed in the footsteps of others, but then they themselves became influential for the cause of Christ. Look now at verse 7. In verse 7, Paul said, So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Now, if you go back and look, geographically speaking, at a map, you'll find that, that in Macedonia, Paul is talking about those who lived in Thessalonica, Amphipolis, and of course, Apollonia. And then we think about uh, the city of Thessalonica itself. And then moving south down to Achaia, you have Corinth and Athens. And you can really trace Paul's missionary endeavors from Amphipolis to Apollonia to Thessalonica and then to Berea and then southward he goes down to Athens and then from Athens over to Corinth. Well, listen again to what Paul is saying. He said, you became examples to those who were in Macedonia in that region to the north and then Achaia, that region to the south, who believe. Here were people that were shining, shining examples of Christianity. They were imitators of God. And not only were they imitating the Lord, but they were influential for the cause of Christ. In this community, whether we realize it or not, we have an influence, we have a voice. People watch us, they observe our actions or our deeds. 
They listen to our speech. They listen to what we say on a daily basis. They take it all in, and then they begin to draw conclusions. What is it we're called upon to be in this community? What is it we're called upon to be wherever we may live in this world? Well, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. And I think what Paul was saying there to Timothy was, Timothy, you show the world what it means to be a child of God. We have an influence that ought to be exerted within the body of Christ and without the body of Christ. That is, within the community of believers, within the church, we ought to be a shining example of Christ. And then, out in the world, in the community, in the city, in the state, in this nation, we ought to be a shining example for good. We ought to use our influence to further the cause of Christ. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. We ought to be a leavening agent for good. He would further say, you are the light of the world. Now the Bible says that the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. If the world is in darkness and you and I are characterized as light, doesn't it stand to reason that we let our light shine before others? That other people can see Christ living in us? Wouldn't it be great if you and I demonstrated the kind of Christianity that we read about in the New Testament to the extent that people would observe the way we live, the way we act, the way we react in the face of trouble and trial and provocation, and the conclusion was, whatever they have, I want it. The way they live, I want to live after them. When people see you, that ought to be, that ought to be something that, that others observe, well, the, the way you live in this community, when people look at how you live and how you act and react, people ought to say, look, I want, I want to be just like you. Why? Because your example is Christ. We ought to use the influence that we have for the good of the cause of Christ. Time here on earth is very brief. The Bible talks about how we may live to be 70, 80 years of age. James said that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I do not know how long you and I will live here on planet earth, but I know this. Whatever time we have here on earth ought to be used to the glory of God. And we ought to use our example. Look at the world around us. Look, look at what Paul said. Here were people that had turned to God from idolatry. When Paul made his way down to the city of Athens, do you know what he was met with in Athens? Idolatry. Do you know how the apostle Paul combated idolatry and add to that immorality? He preached the gospel of Christ. He set before those with whom he came in contact with a Christian example. I believe the apostle Paul was a Christian gentleman. And in so doing, do you know what he did? He made a difference in the lives of people. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible says the charge was made against Paul and Silas. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You and I, we ought to be turning the world upside down. Listen, this world is, is headed in the wrong direction. Our nation is headed in the wrong direction. What's going what's to bring our nation back or bring our world back? Well, the only thing I know, the gospel. And so we preach and teach the truth of God. And then fourthly, their declaration of Jesus. 
Look now at verse 8. Here were people that were evangelistic. Go back and read. Go back and read the book of Acts. I would challenge you to read the book of Acts this week. And when you read the book of Acts, bear in mind that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen to him in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So here were people that were evangelistic. And, and based on my reading and understanding of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I would conclude that these people were mission-minded. In other words, they had a heart for evangelism. Two things. Number one, I believe they were on fire for the Lord. Note what is said in verse 8. Paul said, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. So again, we're talking about this region. In Macedonia, you have Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, Berea, and then you go south and you have Athens and Corinth. And what, what does Paul say? The word of God has gone forth. Here were people that were preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. That word sounded means to echo forth. It is from a word that might describe the clarion call of a trumpet or the roll of thunder. And I think about people who are literally broadcasting the good news of the gospel of Christ. Now read again with me verse 9 or rather verse 8, the first part. For from, you, the word of the Lord, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. These people were on fire. They had a message that was burning within their hearts. I think about Jeremiah in the long ago, in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. When he said, I'm not going to make mention of the name of God anymore. But he said, his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Now, the gospel ought to be like a burning fire in our hearts. It ought to be a message that we can't wait to share. These people were not just on fire, but they were fervent in their declaration of the gospel. Continue on with me in verse eight. He said, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Wouldn't it be great if we had the kind of fervor that when other people, other members of the church came to DeSoto County and they began to, to meet the residents of this county and talk to them about New Testament Christianity, the response would be, you know what, I've heard about you guys. I've heard the gospel from your people. I've heard what the gospel has to say about Christ, about his death, his resurrection, the church, Christian living, etc. Here were people that were on fire 
and couple with their fire their fervency. You and I, we have the ability to turn this community upside down for the cause of Christ. Now again, I'm not saying that the church at Thessalonica was a perfect congregation. There is not a perfect church. And why is that? Because the church is comprised of people. And people are imperfect beings. We are imperfect beings made right in the sight of God by the blood of Christ. But nonetheless, we strive to be a light in this community. When you look at the church at Thessalonica, here were people on the move. Now, what do I take from that? I look at the church here at Olive Branch, and let me just ask this question. If the Apostle Paul were the evangelist here, what do you think would be going on? If Jesus Christ had his name on the mailbox out here, what do you think would be going on here? I can tell you what would be going on. People would be hearing the gospel. Why? Because the Lord and Paul love souls. We ought to be in the soul winning business. And we ought to love the souls of people enough to evangelize. I think that this is a living congregation. I believe that this is a living congregation, a living church. I think we have a lot of work to do. But I believe that with, with the help of Almighty God and the blessings of God, listen, we can be what God would have us to be. But it's going to take every single person who is a member here joining hands and taking the characteristics that you read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and making them a part of everyday living. I hope and pray that you will be on board. You see, we need you on board. The Lord Jesus Christ is not here in the flesh. The Apostle Paul is not here in the flesh. But we are the Lord's people. And we have the writings of the apostles, like Paul's. And what we need to do is take what they have said and make it a part of our lives. Live it out so that we can reach this community and this state for the cause. Let me close by asking this question. Have you turned to God? Are you living for God? I want to encourage you if you're here tonight and you're not a New Testament Christian to put your faith and trust in Jesus to repent of every sin, to confess his name before others, to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that you might enjoy, as Peter said, the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2.47, where you will enjoy all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1 at verse 3, where the exhortation continues to be, live faithfully until death, Revelation 2 at verse 10. If you'll do that, the Lord will bestow on you the crown of life one day. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not faithful, could we encourage you to come home? Could we encourage you to come back to God to once again be in fellowship with him and his people? John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come as we stand and sing.